Hi, this is Courtney Law, executive producer of this podcast. The episode you are about to hear is our final one for this first season of How Art is Born. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these engaging conversations about art, art making, and the creative process. This season featured 10 episodes, so if you missed any, be sure to check them out here or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this podcast, you'll love our website and YouTube channel, which are chock full of other great digital content. Visit mcadenver.org or find us on YouTube. Thank you so much for being with us on this journey and for your support. Hey, I'm R. Allen Brooks, a writer and professor. This is How Art is Born, an MCA Denver podcast about the origins of artists and their creative and artistic practice. Today I'm joined by internationally renowned jazz pianist, composer, and now visual artist, Jason Moran. Say hello. Hello. That's how people know the difference in the voices. <laughs> He's talking now. I'm old country. <laughs> right. That's how you gonna know me. <laughs> hey, well, uh, start us off. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, born in 1975. <laughs> in, right. In Houston, Texas. Uh, I'm a pianist, mostly. Mm. Um, and I think the piano is a piece of technology that really unlocked a lot of black sound hmm. from Scott Joplin yeah. and the revolution that he decides not only to write when he makes ragtime, mm-hmm. but that he decides to write it down too. Hmm. And you gotta think like, this is because black folks are not allowed to even show that they could read nor write right. for the penalty of death. Right. You know, so him writing down music in the late 1800s, the piano is that is that spur, hmm. you know, um, and it wasn't like I was thinking about piano like like, like that when I was a kid because I hated piano. Was I it? think it's an awful instrument. <laughs> was it like you were required to take lessons or something? I was. I went to an elementary school in Houston called McGregor. Hmm. That was kind of like a like a magnet school with okay. arts and science. So everybody had to learn how to play violin huh. or piano. Okay. It wasn't even a big deal. Yeah. You know, if you don't make it a big deal that a kid has to do something, they don't think it's a big deal. Right. It's when it's like you have a choice, Hmm. you know. Yeah. (laughs) Make them learn music. (laughs) Make them look at art. Make them read. All right. So uh, you you grew up in Houston. Uh, Mm -hmm. How early did you sort of connect to, to music? Well, I don't know. You know, those years from six to 12, I wouldn't say I was connecting. Yeah. I'd say I was I was practicing. And and I didn't mind it. I so you that. you started playing piano when you were six. At six. Okay. Yeah. And my I have two brothers, one older Yuri and a younger brother Ty. Huh. I'm just letting you know that my parents were really you know into names, <laughs> except for mine, <laughs> Jason. That's so funny. This was 1975 name. Right. Well, okay. So my name is Alan. My right. sister's name is Tahira. Right. It's like Swahili means pure. My pops got all imaginative. You know. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. But anyway, but we all had to, we all were playing instruments. Right. But it was thir- when I was 13, I heard Thelonious Monk's music. Hmm. And that was a, like a epiphany. It was like, drop everything, figure out who this man is, mm-hmm. why he sounds like that, and just go for that. Huh. And I did. And it was, it was around the same time in the 80s. You know, hip hop is everything right. in the 80s. So right. it was cool to hear a pianist play with like the pre-sensibility of hip-hop. Mm. You know, Thelonious Monk's left hand is a beat, is a drum beat. 
And some of that was still resonating. Mm-hmm. And also back then, the samples that were being made in hip hop was a bunch of jazz samples and funk, yeah. and soul samples, yeah. you know. So it was a way to also, Thelonious Monk then led me back into listening to kind of understanding what was being sampled in hip hop, then mm-hmm. going through his and my mom's records, mm-hmm. looking for the samples. It allowed like a whole investigation of, of black music of that, of those from 1940 to 1970. Yeah. And Thelonious Monk unlocks that. And then he, most importantly, he makes me deal with the piano as a fun place to be mm-hmm. rather than a chore, you know? <laughs> That's interesting. Now, I'm thinking about your path, like uh, when you connected with Thelonious Monk, for example. It makes me think of my own path musically, and, and I'm going to share a little with you because I want to hear more about uh, kind of your impression of jazz and growing up in a hip-hop age and how it spoke to you, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, it was definitely hip-hop early on, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm writing raps at like seven, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did play trumpet from fourth to eighth grade, See that? But they made me choose between drawing and playing an instrument in eighth grade. Oh, that's, you know, and, those good choices. <laughs> and the, the trumpet lost out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I, and also, I think uh, it was all classical. And it's not to say the classical is not cool, but it just right. didn't, it didn't grab me, right? Right. So I, uh, I think if I had been playing jazz, I would have had a lot more connection to right. it. Right. Then you fast forward some years later, you know, uh, Tribe Called Quest is doing their stuff. Native yep. Tongues, they're doing a lot of jazz stuff. Yep. But there was that Ken Burns documentary on jazz in the 90s right? where I really saw, I think it was the first time, because jazz had just always been around, mm. but I had never really like followed up or connected with or anything. Right. That's why I really saw that this was like young black people's music yeah. and how much hip hop had in common with jazz, yep. culture-wise. Nice. Nice. It takes every branch of the tree and just keeps growing it. Yeah. And, you know, if you, <laughs> it's deep. In like 1948, Louis Armstrong's in a movie with Billie Holiday called New Orleans. We had the same birthday, but me and Louis Armstrong. Uh, oh, yeah. are you August 4th? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Real birthday, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you it's and a, Louis. It's yeah. me, him, and Barack Obama and Iceberg Slim. That's right. Well, you know, the pantheon. <laughs> right. It's the community. <laughs> um, but in 48, or whenever this movie is, he okay. is, he's straight rapping. Yeah, forty eight. Huh. It's my earliest version of of a of a. It's a video too. He's introducing the band hmm. to Billy Holiday. Okay, and he's going through each member of the band and straight as somebody said, doing the Melly Mel, <laughs> pre Melly nice. Mel in yeah. forty eight. Huh. So, I think you know, like when I was thinking about listening, those trails. You know, one thing that they tried to do to jazz was take it out of black community one. Mm-hmm. And then say that it wasn't ours too, mm-hmm. right? So then, when it was given back to you, believe well, I don't listen to that. You know, right. it's too weird. Well, right. do you know what we've been through? Right? Do you think we're supposed to sound quantized? <laughs> that's a real you, thing. You, you think that's 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 our expression? Yeah, is like that. You know, and so when I look at the that scope of black music, mm-hmm. then we never are leaving the past behind ever. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when I, what's that song? I can't remember. Sh- shame on a. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Saying, yeah. But they are uh, <laughs> sampling Thelonious Monk hmm. playing Duke Ellington. Huh. So they're going from 1990 right. to like 1950 to 1920 hmm. in one song, you know? Yeah. So I think producers, they hear that. Yeah. DJ Premier, all these people. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. They, they, they hear. Right. Ninth Wonder, they are listening right. 
to all kind of music. They know, oh, wait a minute, that's touching on something else. Hmm. That's a, that little bit is a little bit deeper. And so when I think they make these tracks, I feel like all really great music always held that close to the fold rather hmm. than say, I don't really want to know nothing about that. Yeah. Which has been the interesting dialogue I say in current hip hop about a certain crew not really wanting to deal with the previous generation, yeah. 1990s. Right. They might deal with 2000, 2010, right. whatever. But like 1990s, 80s, ah. That old man rapping. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, you know, the Ken Burns thing, I was still an observer. Mm. But maybe uh, 10, 15 years later, I got to a point where I was like rapping at uh, live music venues. Mm. And then the musicians I started hiring, always jazz musicians, mm. The reason is because they could improv. So I could freestyle right. a song Flexible. and they could improv, right? Flexible. Yeah. That's who we are. Right. right, right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what, I mean, maybe that's the thing that I wanted to say was, is the elements that are planted in the music mm-hmm. and in the form and in the, and in the expression, which then goes to the community, yeah. goes to geography, goes to landscape. And then we talk about the compositions that tell us about different neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? Wabash Street in Chicago, right? Like Roy Eldridge writes this hit. During the Great Migration, he's telling you a street you can go to hmm. when you get out of Alabama. Huh. That's what he's saying. It ain't like, nah, Wabash is just this thing. Right. You hear all these songs talking about Harlem, 125th Street. It's saying you can come here. Your community is here. Your yeah. sound is here. Hmm. So, but that takes flexibility. Right. That takes a knowledge base. That don't be like, I'm from Houston. I just deal with Third Ward and that's it. Hmm. That can be something. And right. there's enough information for you to dive into. But when you want to expand, and I think as an artist, that's your job. Right. Your job is to bring to another population, possibly mm. also at your own, but bring another conversation to the to another group of people mm. to say, this is where I'm from. Mm. This is what it sounds like. All these years being in New York, it wasn't until the pandemic that I recently, a couple of months ago, played in New York City. Okay. And I realized, oh, and when I was playing outside. Yeah. Astor Place on a Rashid Johnson sculpture, you know, mm. that he made. And and I was the city, the birds, which are few, but they there. <laughs> <laughs> the birds, the bus, the skateboarder, yeah. the people walking by, the car bat blasting the system. And then I was playing. And I was like, yo, this is how I play. Mm. When I've been listening to music, Thelonious Monk, all these people, pianists living in New York, they live in New York. Mm. They sound like they live in New York. Huh. <laughs> That's the sound. So when I was yeah. playing, I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> I mean, I've been living in New York almost, what, 25 years now? Whatever. Okay. So it's like, oh, no, it's it's here. If I lived in Denver right. for a long time, or I think about the musicians that are from here, Ron Miles and the crew, yeah, Bill Frizzell, they got a sound that's from Denver. Huh. You know, you hear it, right? And yeah. there's that, that part is what is a flexibility that when you hire musicians, mm-hmm. you're looking for like, oh, you know, you can say one thing, they're like, no, I got you. Right. I know what that yeah. is. Yeah, they'll be like, uh, yeah, do you want to like play in a C or do you want to, you know, I'll be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I think there's something about, you know, when you're working with good musicians mm-hmm. and good crews of people yeah. who are really looking to make something actually special for the mm-hmm. moment, for an audience, yeah. for a, a viewing public that comes into a museum or a gallery or sit down in a film or a theater or a restaurant. Yeah. You know, like that level of care doesn't just exist in the arts. It's like across everything. Hmm. And those people are, we are a tribe. Right. Right. We roll together. 
we want to support one another to get to goals mm-hmm. that actually make difference, you know, rather than just become static. Mm-hmm. And um, and great musicians can do that, um, but it is it is it, but it takes like a kind of like us like looking at something, and especially sound which we can't see, yeah, right, which makes it hard. So your ear ends up being the thing that you trust the most. Mm-hmm. And so when you're working with a group on stage yeah. and they 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 are trusting this. Yeah. Right? They're not looking at the paper no more. Like, oh well, he wants to change something. All right, so Yeah, and what's beautiful moving. is that I can even do the same songs and it'll take on different life yeah. with those music. And yeah. it's an it's an individual experience each time we perform together. And I yeah. love that. Yeah. You know, and for the most part I can I can like if somebody can't make it, they'll be like, oh here's another you know keys player. You know, they'll right. be dope. Right. I mean every, every once in a while, like I got one keyboard player who couldn't swing. Right. Which was not good for hip hop. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah, so everything was just you're straight right. on. And I was you're like, right. huh. Yeah, you're right. What, what? And it didn't matter right. like how That's how right. fierce my battle raps were. Right. <laughs> just sounded right. Right. toothless. Right. Okay, so let's go back, man. So you said like uh, 12 was when you heard Thelonious and it really. Yeah. Okay, 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like, what did it what did it say to you? Like, how did it move you? What did it mean to you? You know, one, one Thelonious Monk's music, it's, it's porous hmm. and you could fit yourself in it. Yeah. Um, and he leaves enough space in the music for you to do that. Huh. Right. So he, one of the characteristics of Thelonious Monk's playing is that he leaves space in his solos. Yeah. So it's almost like he, he uses that space rather than only playing notes to define his sound. Huh. He's actually using that negative space, too. Hmm. So that that was one thing like, no, nah, you can approach this. Second thing was there was a movie that came out about him uh, called Straight No Chaser that Clint Eastwood did. It was a documentary. Okay. So, all right, I'm going crazy about this guy. Now there's a movie about him. Oh, yeah. Shit. You know, right. like that was also like, all right, no, this, no, you're right. This is worth looking at. You right. Know? Um, and then th- the other part was his whole visual canon, the, I- the images, his dress, hmm. sunglasses, his thousands of hats that he collect from around the world, how he danced around the piano, huh. um, how he spoke, the slang he made, yeah. his his record covers, hmm. you know, how he chose to make, you know, there's one record cover where he's sitting at the piano with like a gun tied around his back hmm. and a Nazi tied up in the corner, huh. you know? I haven't like, seen that one. Wow. Yeah, it's called Underground. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. so he is, whether he talks about it or not, Yeah. The image part is really important. Hmm. And the name, Thelonious Monk. Right. That's his father's name. Huh. Right? Yeah. And that's also, I think, even his father's name, right? Like it's a passed down thing. Huh. So there was all this that was wrapped up in this one man. Yeah. You know, who people call the high priest of Bebop, you mm-hmm. know, the one and only Thelonious Monk. That's how you <laughs> say it. Um, and he along with the woman before him, Mary Lou Williams, is the real architect to Bebop. Okay. So he was with her. Yeah. Like, she was showing him and Bud Powell all this stuff. And he shows up with this care, and he writes these songs. And then he just plays mostly his songs. Hmm. I don't know. It's a kind of dedication that was, you know, for a kid in the 80s. Right. Like some MC shit. Yeah. Most of his songs were his name. Hmm. <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Monk's Mood, Monk's Dream, yeah. you know, Thelonious, right? Like, you uh, know, all these songs using his name. And when I think about all these hip hop, you know, they talk about themselves. Right. Right. It's like a 
validation. You have to validate yourself. Right. To be able to stand up in front of a public, you have to say, I'm ready to do that. Especially in the world that's actively trying to destroy you. Yes. Huh? Yes. Well, you mentioned the image thing. That's, uh, I mean, uh, you've done some stuff with Bruno, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. So, 18 years. Or, okay. <laughs> well, I, so obviously, historically, Bruno yeah. was uh, like known for the album covers and right. his whole books and all that. I couldn't yeah, wait like to that. make my first album yeah. cover. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk <laughs> something about that? Like, what was that like? Come well, Coming to that even, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was like 23. Okay. It's kind of like a year out of college for and being approached by Bruce Lundball, Rest His Beautiful Soul, huh. who was the president of Blue Note Records back then. Okay. And I was recording with a guy named Greg Osby, a saxophonist, who had been blending, you know, was kind of been blending hip-hop and jazz, but, you know, was also kind of making his own weird version. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and when it came, they said, well, you know, Bruce said, I was coming off of the stage at this club, Sweet Basil, okay. in New York, and he said, you want to make a record? <clears throat> Just like that, huh? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> right. You know what right. I mean? And and then there I was. I went in the studio, put down 10 originals. Yeah. Because I wanted to say my first statement is all original music. Hmm. And, you know, and then that conversation about the cover. Like yeah. I just couldn't. I love being in the meetings with the art director or the art team hmm. um, coming up with a feel for yeah. each cover. The second record cover was like based off Egon Shield. The third record cover was based off of like um, Robert Rauschenberg, right? Uh-huh. Like each one had like, I was like, yo, this is the artist, Jasper Johns on this one, right? Nice. Let's look into this. And then after a while, you know, I started, you know, by the one of the last records I did for them was called 10. Yeah. And I got the artist Adam Pendleton to do the cover. Hmm. And he just put 10 dots on the cover, huh. right? It was like, that was actually my most emblematic Blue Note cover uh-huh. <laughs> because it had a sense of that. Of what you're talking about, yeah. that visual canon that um, Alfred Lyon and Francis Wolfe really kind of pulled together. It, yeah, you know, to be a part of a, a rich part of their, their recent history is, you know, like I couldn't ask for a better man. introduction into the international jazz world. Yeah, that's really dope, man. Okay, so uh, you fall in love with the Gonis music, you start pursuing, uh, doing more of that you were saying like mm-hmm. so what is what did that mean like what for some people artists working through your own feelings mm-hmm. working through your own experience some is communicating something to the world mm-hmm. some is both you know mm-hmm. like what was it for you well I, you know i think the first part was could i make a living doing this hmm. and that's hard yeah my mother is a was an educator she had a bakery okay you know by the end, she was teaching, you know, English in high schools to deaf students. Mm. You know, she had always worked with deaf children. Um, my father was an investment banker. Um, okay. And so they, you know, they're kind of middle class, black right. middle class in Houston. And and it wasn't that there weren't artists in our family. My uncle, my father's brother, is a really brilliant painter, uh, mm. kind of really teaches me the sensibility. His name, Joseph Moran. Mm. And my father and mother collected a lot of art, too. Right. So so it wasn't like they weren't saying you couldn't do it. Right. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I just watched this movie Really Love on Netflix with it's based in D.C. Did you see that? I watched it uh, for the weekend. Yeah. 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 So, you know, like you remember, like there's like man, you're still trying to do that painting. You know, you can't make no living painting, you know. Right. And I don't know. It pains me to hear that that's a conversation that we're still scripting. Right. Um. That we're putting into people's minds. Hmm. Because I think a lot of those things are, it really hinders 
growth. Hmm. You know, we, yeah. we can't think more expansively other than can you pay your light bill? Yeah. I mean, it's hard, you know, right. because poverty is is among us. Right. You know, um, and so where what does a country do that can't manage how to lift up? their citizens, right. which this country can't do right, right now. Yeah. It never has, actually, let's say that. Mm-hmm. Never has. Um, and so that conversation becomes like that symptom mm-hmm. of that no faith. Yeah. You know? Um, but but my parents weren't ever going to say that I couldn't become a musician. Ah, oh, that's cool. They just were going to be like, how are you going to do that? Right, right. <laughs> What's your plan? Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're going to support you. Yeah. You want to go to New York to go to Manhattan School of Music? If you get in, go ahead. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, and, and they they actually, they were, I mean, and and their sisters, but the whole, my whole family, like, go, 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 go. Yeah. You know, so when I got to New York, I had so much, um, I'd say confidence that when I heard the students playing at Manhattan School of Music, I was like, y'all not good. Hmm. I already know it. <laughs> nice. So I can't compare myself to you. I have to compare myself to McCoy Tyner because he's playing down the street. <laughs> right on. Because that's the crew I'm looking for yeah. to be among. I'm not looking to be among y'all because y'all having a very collegial conversation, <laughs> but I need to have a, a professional date. one. Yeah. <laughs> and these cats are blown at another level, and I want to get to that level. Yeah. And that's going to take some hurt feelings. Hmm. Mine, mostly. Okay. Because when you play with musicians who are way better than you, they don't have no problem telling you you don't sound like shit. Right. Right. So and that felt good for me. I've been raised like that. Yeah. In the music world. So I was ready for for that. And I had a teacher, Jackie Bayard, who played with Charles Mingus on all those great records mm. in the 50s and 60s. That was the reason I moved to New York mm. was study with that man. Huh. And he was in his mid 70s by the time I got to New York. Wow. 75. I'm 18. Yeah. Like, give it to me every mm. Monday. He's like, all right. You think you're ready, <laughs> right? You know, and that yeah. and that felt um, about right. And so for me, it was just figuring out how could I just get from month to month playing the music that I love because I realized at some point I can't say yes to every gig, right? Because that don't make me happy, right? But I don't like the music, mm-hmm. so I need to be playing with better musicians. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, as fate would have it, things started to line up with that vision. Yeah. That's really dope, man. Okay, so when I first moved to uh, Denver, I was in my late 20s, mm-hmm. and I went to El Chapultepec here, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't around Rest in peace, yeah, El Chapultepec. Right. Uh, there was a brother, 75 years old, playing drums, mm-hmm. Eugene Bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he had like a little jazz trio, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, on his break, you know, I went and talked to him just because, you right. know, I was trying to connect with the black community here. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still new here. We got to be friends. He was displeased with the musicians that were playing with him at the time. Mm. And since jazz was still kind of new to me, I didn't really get it. Mm. But then he invited, I'm going to actually, he was 74 when we met. Mm. Then he invited me to his 75th birthday party. Mm. All his friends from Chicago flew in that had been playing jazz with him for like 50 years. Mm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is what he's talking about. That's it. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, yeah, these dudes, you know, they were all in their 70s, 80s. Right. You know, and that's a generational conversation it. you're watching, too. Right. Mm-hmm. You're watching people who learned the music before it got to a point where it was taught in schools. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're, you're watching people who learned a vernacular, basically. Um, and and so they know how to throw around the lingo. Yeah. Right? And um, and that's when you, you know, people always talk about music being the conversation. Mm-hmm. And and when it's working well, it's a conversation that's just, it's alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and if one person drops out, it's still healthy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm glad you 
pointed that out and glad you heard it too. It was, yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And for me, uh, it was understanding the music more, but it also felt like connecting to a part of my own history that I wasn't even aware of mm. uh, as much as I thought I was. Mm. I just, I just love what jazz represents, mm-hmm. you know, um, with it, like as far as what it means to be black and American and, and how it influences all these things that people don't even think it influences. Like, uh, the, was it the Funk Brothers who played all the Motown songs? All right. They're all jazz musicians. All of them. Yeah, yeah, but they yeah. bring that jazz sensibility to it and it makes mm-hmm. them all sound good. Yeah. Maybe something like Schoolhouse Rocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Bob DeRoe. Yeah, uh, Bob DeRoe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jack Sheldon. Okay, so Bob DeRoe played a Dazzle like uh, before he died. Yeah. And I, I went because of Schoolhouse Rocks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so he went through his whole catalog. That's a genius. Yeah. And then, oh, uh, I just recently, uh, so, you know, since we're the same age, uh, you remember Night Court? Yeah, right. Okay, so I only knew Mel Torme as a Night Court uh, oh, wow. punchline. Oh, wow. <laughs> because the judge always talked about him. And he came on a few times, but I never really knew his music, right? Oh, yeah, Mel's. Yeah. Hey, Mel got down. So there's that uh, <laughs> Coming Home Baby song. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'd always heard the instrumental, but I'd never heard his. Mm-hmm. But it turns out Bob DeRoe wrote the lyrics. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I was like, yo, just it's just all jazz just yeah. is so much underneath. It is. So many things, and I love it. No, and 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 you're talking about like listening at a at a level that where you hear the layers, mm-hmm. you know? And which I, I think I kept wanting to translate when I would start traveling around the world, then how would I look at things to see the layers? Mm-hmm. You know, so and so many times when I'd be on the road, I would go to museums during the day all around the world. Huh. Which museum is up? What exhibition is up? Yeah. So I could go see, can I go see something? You know, that um, is as captivating as listening to John Coltrane record. Mm. <clears throat> and can I, why, can I look at it and examine it that deeply? You right. know, stand in front of a painting for a while, go see a sculpture exhibition. Um, and that became fun. Mm. You know, even when I came to, when this museum opened, yeah. right? Like I met, David Aj and he's like, I have this new space there, man. You should go see it. He said, because you should go see what I did with the outside wall. It looks like it's wood, but it's brick. You know, like huh. cement, right? Like, right. like you know, like. And I, so I came here to see because David's talking about a building. You know, like, right. okay, I'm in Denver playing. Well, I'm gonna go over here and check the space out. Right. And because that's where my curiosity leads is in the daytime. I need to see something so I have something to play about at night. Mm-hmm. You know, when I walk onto the stage, and so. And it ended up being museums where I'd spent a lot of time looking at what the conversation was on the wall. Hmm. All right. So um, we, we've been talking about sort of the influences of jazz and your experience with it. And just we've been hitting all these different corners and historical and stuff like that. I want to get to like what matters to you as an artist. Like, are you trying to communicate something? Are you just trying to make people have a visceral experience? Like, mm-hmm. you know, how are you approaching things? Yeah, mm, I don't know. I mean, I, that always changes day to day. Mm. Um, I mean, I what what I know is that the music and the music we've been calling jazz, which mm. is a fraught term, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but when I think about its complexity, and I mean all around it, mm-hmm. the economy, the 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 dark economy around it. Mm. Um, from the mafias that ran it and continue to run it <laughs> um, to the freedom of expression, right? Yeah. Then to the style, you know, and the language mm. um, and then to the geography, right? And then, and, and so when I look at all those points, I always get inspiration about there's something else to explore in this. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes it happens at the piano and sometimes it don't. Hmm. And sometimes it happens in a conversation and sometimes it happens in a film, you know? Um, And, and the people that I've been inspired by, they have met that challenge to to move the language almost away from the form Hmm. itself because it needs, I don't know, sometimes it just needs another, I don't know, another angle, you know? And I think for the way I was taught, and I would say not, but oh, I'll say the way I was taught by jazz education, jazz ed- education as a model and as a thing in America basically teaches you, we want to make you a functioning jazz musician that can take a solo. Mm-hmm. That might be it. We don't want you necessarily to have to think about the ethics mm-hmm. or the socioeconomic, you know, um, aspects of the music mm-hmm. um, to the racism in it that is embedded all through it, you right. know. Um, we don't really want to have you think about all that. We want to get you to play a good solo hmm. so that when you can play at a wedding, you know, right, right, <laughs> you know? Right. we want to get you to be functioning in the community. We want you to think. And, and I recognize that because I met my wife when she walked into Manhattan school of music and she had graduated from Barnard college, a women's college, three blocks up from Manhattan school of music. Okay. And so she came in as a feminist hmm. and like, I don't know what they're teaching you here, Jason, but everything you've said, you've deleted the woman in here huh. every time. Hmm. You didn't hear that in your language? You know, like, right. she's like, you want to be with me. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to, I'm going to have to wake you up. Because <laughs> you're not going to wake yourself up. She's like, I'm going to have to wake you up. Huh. Um, and she continues to uh, all these years later. And, and so there's that part. Right. And so my job as an educator, just even if I even deal with why I teach, is because I want my students to realize that there is so much more that's trapped up in these solos hmm. than just playing the good solo that gets people to clap right. for you at the end of it. That can't be the goal. Mm-hmm. But if you heard Lil Wayne and Kanye or any of these crazy pop stars talk, right. that all the people yelling for you, mm, <laughs> at some point, that actually gets toxic. Right. You know, so that can't be the goal either. Mm-hmm. You know, so my work is continuing to try to look for multiple ways to get to multiple goals. Mm-hmm. And it can't be simply at the piano uh, and exploring ways to to pull up the thoughts that I think that live within the music and the culture mm-hmm. that should be put on display. Um, so the work at the Kennedy Center making sure that there are stages for people to walk onto and speak freely. Yeah. You know, uh, to work with filmmakers, you know, like to work with Ava DuVernay, like all these people making sure that they have good music in their films. Hmm. Some of these films could be better if they didn't have such bad music. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, so like it's stuff like that, that I feel like that's what I want to do. So I could be a solo artist, but I really love being a collaborator. Hmm. All right. Well, so then um, when you go out, you know, on stage tour or whatever, uh, what what kind of configuration do you prefer? I mean, generally, I have a band that's called The Bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Two other musicians. It's a piano trio. OK. And we've been together now 22, 22 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've just we've done a lot of work together. And, I, you know, that's my preferred configuration. Yeah. In the past few years, it had been solo mm-hmm. um, because solo piano is the hardest. Yeah. And I want to, you know, and the best way to get better at it is by doing it. Right. In big rooms, mm. with a lot of people and no help. <laughs> you know, it's like stand up comedy. You right. Know what I mean, like just you, just you. And, um, and can you make uh, 90 minutes straight up? 
Hmm. You know, and I was in it. Pandemic came and uh, so the tours had been canceled, but it is the hardest. Yeah. And it was the standard that all the Harlem pianists had to stand on. So Fats Waller, Art Tatum, Willie the Lion Smith, you know, hmm. then Duke Ellington, you know, Thelonious Monk came in. He was the young kid yeah. who could hang with them. James P. Johnson, you know, all these people, Jelly Roll Morton. They sat at the Mary Lou Williams when she sat at the piano by herself. Hazel Scott, you know, mm. they it was blistering. Hazel Scott is like, you know, does this thing that uh, that, that, that two, two different pianos, pianos right? right? Like crazy technique, you know. Um, I'm always thinking that on the other side of this realm, when I get to that other gate and all the pianists are standing there, yeah, like, yeah right, <laughs> that's all I want to hear, right? right? So I play when I play solo. It's like no, I have to hit to some degree on some of those levels, right? And then I got to speak to my generation, hmm. you know? Yeah. All right, so one thing we try to deal with is uh, creative fear because a lot of people listening um, to this podcast are either aspiring artists, I imagine, or people who just want to hear the process of how hmm. an artist does something, right? And a, a big thing that comes up for so many people who say they're aspiring is the fear of failure or yeah. fear of rejection, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess, do you deal with fear and how do you deal with it? Well, so, I mean, a lot of people say if you, you know, like before a performance, if you're not scared, you're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, I feel like that sometimes in the middle of performance, though, mm. huh. <laughs> like if you have a little edge on it, like it could fall, huh. crumble right now. <laughs> right. And because the skill, your skill, you could be hired because you know how to fix a problem. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel like my role has been as a pianist, because a piano player generally accompanies people mm -hmm. most of the time. So when people hire me, they're not hiring me just to take the good solo. Right. They're hiring me to help construct a new world mm. around them. Right? right. So, all right, let's do that. I'm into that. Yeah. Um, but the fear is... What if you're doing something they don't like? Hmm. And I always say, you're going to have to do it because you got to feel, real, realize what you don't like. Right. And you have to do it. For me, you have to do it real time. You have to do it when there's no walking back. Right. Um, and the stage ends up becoming that place for it. Hmm. Um, and I've been yelled at by the greats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a real thing. You know? <laughs> Especially when I was young, and yeah. because I think people were like, is that what you really mean? Do you really mean to make those sounds that way? Huh. Mm -hmm. You should probably think about that. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's kind of how I, because I, I would never, I would rarely say it to him, but I was like, no, nah, but Thelonious Monk started me off. Yeah. And if, if, like, if that's your baseline, right. and I don't consider the base, I consider it the mountaintop. Right. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. And none of his choices are obvious. Mm -hmm. None. Right. So then how does it get to like you play jazz and every choice you make is obvious. Hmm. So in my book, according to the top of the mountain. Right. Mm -hmm, that don't work. <laughs> and so then you find a tribe of people who want to work with that. Right. Mm -hmm. And but it but it feels I mean, look, the, the hurt feelings, whether it's from another musician, whether it's from a peer in your classroom, you know. Yeah. You know, and if you're an art student, you know, and you have crit, you know, yeah. staring at your work for 30 minutes asking you questions, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's difficult. And, but it, but the rebound is the, is the real, that's where you become the artist, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I had to I always tell these stories about being in school of hearing teachers mm -hmm. telling me that I would one, not earn a living mm -hmm. playing the way I play. I might be lucky to have a $20 gig. Wow. 
you can't play like that in this class. They straight up just like that. Oh yeah, but you know, you know, I, but I came from my family. <laughs> yeah, and so I said, well, could you tell me what I was doing then? <laughs> wow. And he was like, I said, well, since you don't know, let me show you. So I'm taking your scale. Like, I don't care about, because first of all, you don't know. I can tell you don't quite know as much as I do huh. about music right now. Right. Right. Because you said that dumb shit to me. Right. So, and I did this in front of the class. I didn't have a problem doing that, defending yeah. my practice either. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like he was going to tell me that then I was going to be. I said, look, you, in, you we're in an improvisation class. Mm -hmm. You yelling at me about the way I'm playing. Meanwhile, and I pointed to the entire class and said, meanwhile, these kids playing the most boring thing ever. You don't say nothing to them and you're going to decide to come down on me. Hmm. I mean, I, you know, like I, I, was, I was ready for it. This is me graduating. Like, <laughs> right. I'm ready to go into the world. <laughs> you know, and, I, and look, and those things are, are hard. Yeah. And but at some point. You will have to stand up for the craft that you're trying to create, even if it's real muddy right yeah. now. It ain't even quite clear. It ain't got the edge yet, the shadow. None of that's coming together, the concept. But the steps mm -hmm. are there. Mm -hmm. And But you will have to keep walking. And somebody going to stand in your way. Mm -hmm. And uh, no matter how much support you have, and I feel like I have the most support. Right. Right. But it, don't, it will always be something or someone, especially, who's going to try to say that ain't really the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. That's their right. Right. But I never had a. I said, if you decide to say that to me, I'm an improviser. I have something to say back. <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden I stopped thinking in that moment. Yeah. My my passion for improvisation also thrives in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I'm ready to go to yeah, that too. Yeah, Let's do it. Yeah. Heart. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess I, what I hear is basically on the other side of that conflict, personal obstacle, fear. Mm -hmm. There's something beautiful waiting for you. There is. And we just get to the other side of that. Yeah. And and it take and it takes a long time. And it takes getting over it too, you know. And and also you can't rush any of this. And hmm. in, in in an art practice, it's your timeline is until your death. Hmm. It's not like I have to do this in five. No. Right. No, you know, Alma Thomas, one of the greatest painters ever. Like, when did her career thrive? When she was in her sixties and seventies, hmm. you know? Like Wait, what? You know, yeah. or you watching artists now entering their 80s and 90s, whether they're musicians or artists, you know, they are. No, it's a long game. Yeah. If you if got, you know, if we're given that given that that opportunity, it's a it's a long one. So, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Mm -hmm. uh, he's like personal hero mm -hmm. just because of. Uh, First of all, like you're saying, I mean, he's like in his 80s, I think, mm -hmm. you know, still putting out stuff. Mm -hmm. But like just his determination. There's a documentary about him called How to Eat Your Watermelon in White Company and Enjoy It. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's on Prime. And it's a it dude like nothing was going to stop him. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think um, now we don't even have the hurdle of technology mm -hmm. in the way that people had. You know, even 20 years ago. Right. Uh, you can make a whole album on your phone if you want to. Right. You know, you can draw a whole comic book. You can, like, what are you waiting on? You right. The internet. You yeah. Got, and, you know, and it's still so many people, like, it's it's odd to me to even hear the term aspiring coming mm. from somebody. Mm. Because it's like, you, you just make it. Just make the thing. Yeah. 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 The hardest part is then, is the tool will always be there. The tool, I guess, ever since the wheel or the ice pick or whatever, you know, yeah. the tool has always been there. But then the creativity around it. 
that can, you know, that's on another timeline. Right. And I don't know, like, no matter how many tools you have, you know, like Jordan is, you know, is it the shoes? Right. Like, nah, it's Jordan. Right, right. <laughs> it's really Jordan. <laughs> it just kind of is. You know what I mean? Like, and it's his ingenuity in that moment. The other night I was showing the boys. I have twin boys who are almost 14. Okay. Um, and and we were watching, they were somehow TBS or one of those channels was showing a marathon of slam dunk championships. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. From like 2005 all the way up to like, you know, 19, right? Okay. So we watched like 10 of them hmm. in a row, 30 minutes each, you know? Yeah. And watching dunking change hmm. and watching the presentation of the dunk change That's too. Interesting. And so one of the, you know, the, the compet, the judges was Daryl Dawkins. Remember him? You break the back bowl, glass shattering right. everywhere, right? Right. So I was telling the boys, I was like, no, well, that's, you know, that's him. That's Magic Johnson, right? This is Jordan, you know. Mm. And we, and during the break, I would show them, oh, no, this is what Jordan did, right? From the free throw line or the spud web did. Right. And then we watched, we watched the presentation shift and continue to shift. And we also watched the bodies change, mm. right? So then we watched people's heads get higher and higher huh. over the rim, right? Like all of a sudden, people right. were, could now do things that just weren't possible before. That's interesting. And we, and we were watching it, and I was thinking like, now I shouldn't even really say this in public, because it's something I'm working on now. <laughs> but I was thinking like, damn, so what's that for music? Mm. You have to, to do a dunk. What's your dunk? Yeah. What would you so, show someone in two minutes to make them be like, oh shit. Or when you do a crazy dunk, everybody's like, oh, all right. oh. you know, right. like when they, uh, the whole team, the whole yeah. front row jumps up. Like, what could you do in that moment? Hmm. And not as like a, not as like a TikTok thing. Hmm. I don't equate that to the same thing. That's something else. Right. Which does have a, a little bit of that in it, you know, yeah. making up a, a small performance, whatever that, that is. But it made me think about what it could be for music hmm. and the challenge of that. For the new generation. Yeah. Because we have to deal with these bites. Right. Know? And the dunk, it ain't in the game. Right. <laughs> right? It's just the dunk. Right. <laughs> it ain't. It don't even count as two points in, <laughs> in just the dunk competition. It's just the dunk. Right. It's just the style. Hmm. How much style could you show me in about a minute? Hmm. And right. And that's a challenge. Right? Yeah. Um, and I think the people that I've been talking about, they have. Melvin Van Peebles, whoever, right? Yeah. Mary Lou Williams, they have a style that is like, oof, right? It 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 pushes you back, you yeah. know? Like, it, it makes you, like, know that they are in the space. Right. And they command it. Yeah, you know, Melvin got a, a dotted tattoo along his neck that says, cut here. Like, that is some next level, like, wow. <laughs> you are going to know. You know what I'm saying? You are going to know that I'm here. Wow. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. Okay, well, so... Uh, you're saying this is the thing you're working on. Like, what, what's next? Where do you see yourself headed artistically? Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I always say my, my next thing is getting my kids to the, their next birthday. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Um, is raise children. Um, and as beautiful as they are, it's, just, it's rough. Yeah. Uh, and now they're teenagers. So as much as I think that the work I, I make and, and collaborate with people on is great mm -hmm. and all, I, I still know that I need to make them positive citizens in whatever community they get into. Yeah. And I need to enable them at every turn that they feel that they want to go. Yeah. Because I feel like that's how both Alicia, uh, my wife, her parents, and my parents raised me. Mm. 
and and you'll do things that you won't understand that your child wants to do. Right. You know, um, but you want to support them. So, I, you know, for me, that's that's where my energy is. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's the power of an engaged parent. Um, I'm going to say adjacent to that. Mm-hmm. I want to ask, does how you participate in your art practice, is it influenced by what you want your kids to see or get something out of? You know, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, when they were young, when they were toddlers, I made this piece called Fats Waller Dance Party. Uh-huh. And um, and so I did a tribute to the pianist Fats Waller, who wrote all these great songs. Yeah. And Michelle and Dege Ocello was like, she would sing all the songs, right? Nice. But I made a party. Yeah. And so I've been playing all these concerts where people sit down and they they do like this. <laughs> right, right. Drink a little whatever. Clap right? Yeah, clap so Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. But I was like, no, let's make a party where people, because that's what Fats Waller did. Yeah. For Harlem, he was like, no, nah, let's get reckless, mm-hmm. you know? And so make a dance party, right? So that my kids could come to the show and they go wild out. <laughs> That was specifically yeah. what it was for too. Was like, nah, you can you can trip out. You can mm. run up on stage. It'd be actually that's great, right? You know. Um, so they've had a huge, huge impact that's uh, on cool. on a lot of the things my wife and I have done. And of course, and the way we've looked at Black music history, mm. we put it on the stage. Yeah, and so they hear us talk about the history of black music in America all the time just because we're working together all the time. Mm -hmm. So like I did this big thing about James Reese Europe and the Harlem Hellfighters, Mm -hmm. you know, and James Reese Europe was, uh, led, uh, the Harlem Hellfighters band. He was already a famous musician band in world war Mm one to France, but there before he brings jazz to France, Mm -hmm. you know, during the war, the war, Yeah, this segregated army, right. They got to fight on the side of the French just to get over there. Right. But he also brings, the culture with it, hmm. the sound of Harlem. He brings it. Okay. And uh, but then he gets back to New York and he's killed by one of his own bandmates. Wow. But I did this tribute to him because because he was a man who was not even put into jazz history. Huh. But it wasn't simply because of the music. It was actually because he was fighting for the freedom of black musicians off stage. Huh. He had a black music union. So what? Man. So then my son ends up like he's like, oh, I'm gonna write me a, a, a Harlem Hellfighters uh, report for seventh grade. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like that, yeah. some of that stuff, whether they think Fred Hampton is, you know, a guy who's still alive, right. you know, but bringing it up or, you know, mm-hmm. working with ta or like all these that they feel like, yeah, no, this was a part of how I saw life growing up in my parents' household. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think of people who grew up like, uh, I know Kelly Jones, who's the daughter of great art, uh, Historian who's the daughter of Amir Baraka. Okay. And when she talks about like living in that house yeah. with all these people, right. musicians, thinkers, poets, everybody kind of coming rolling through, like then what that makes for the child mm. is like a creative buffet mm. that you can go anywhere because this, the brain is free. Mm. Well, we're going to wrap up soon, but I was going to say uh, the reason I asked that question is uh, so we, we didn't talk very, about it very much, but I've uh, moved away from music and my focus is writing mm-hmm. graphic novels and mm-hmm. comic books mm-hmm. and I've gotten a lot more engagement with that mm-hmm. but there was a point two years ago on Christmas where I got death threats over a graphic novel I was working on oh my goodness. Uh, now so you know they usually deal with social issues and like racism police brutality etc right mm-hmm. and so there was this part where uh, I had to really think about like mm-hmm. people want to threaten my life over comic books mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. uh What's which direction am I moving? Mm. You know, do I get quieter? Right. Do I get louder? Right. 
and I have a six-year-old niece. And uh, I really thought about like, okay, worst case scenario, if something happened to me because of the art that I'm creating, mm. uh, it's important to me to create art that moves the world to a better place for her. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, not having kids of my own, I think it's one of the first times I really kind of connected with how much it means to have somebody that I love so much yeah. who exists outside of my body, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that uh, it affects the very way that I exist in the world. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's, that's heavy. Yeah. That's heavy. Because sometimes we think like about our immediate public. Yeah. And then there's like, or what I say to students is, have you played that for your mother yet? Hmm. You know, like, no, take it to the home. Yeah. <laughs> like, take it to your grandmother's house. Right. Play it there. See what she thinks. Mm-hmm. Because that that is also our, that's where we're coming from. Right. And then for the one, the generation below, it's like, that's where we're going. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they inherit it all. Yeah. Whether they want to or not. They, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, my crazy uncle. <laughs> right, right, right. And I don't know. No, no, no. We would talk about that thing. Uh, like your parents were very supportive, but some people get that message from their family that art is like flighty or right. uh, selfish or irresponsible, right. or whatever. But it tells me that um, this person believed in the power of my art enough right. that they thought they needed to threaten my life. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So why am I doubting it? Mm-hmm. Why, why should I ever doubt it? Right. right. You know, so. I guess some good came out of that. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know what I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Well, stay, stay safe. Right on. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to toss this out at you. Just be our closing. Well, we got two more. But uh, you run into young version of yourself. Uh, the same version that told his teacher off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, what, what advice do you think? First of all, do you think your young self would take advice from you now? Mm. And then what would the advice be? I think I'm, well, you know. Let's see. I mean, the advice would be, you're right. And <laughs> <laughs> well, then he would take that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's the best answer I've had to that question so far. <laughs> I love that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, because the other part is, yeah, you you should you should trust your nose. Hmm. And then your nose going might tell you, like... <laughs> Oh, shit, actually, right. maybe I won't do it that way next time. That's what you need to learn. I don't like I me. Mean, I, so I say that you know, I don't. And I, I, my my younger self would listen to me at this age right now mm. because I'm forty something. Mm-hmm. If I was like ten years younger, he would. Mm. Because I when I was my when I was coming into school, I wanted to study with somebody really old. Oh, okay. I didn't trust. I didn't trust somebody who was already kind of like popular. Yeah. You know, huh. I feel like I'm past a certain like stage where that may have, may have impacted a student, you know? Yeah. And I had students when I was teaching in my 20s and they all came out, they came out great. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I think like, I mean, that's not the best advice, but I was looking, no, I was like, because when I went into school, the musicians who had kind of created the language were still alive. Yeah. So it was like, no, I need to get that, that one, that one source is mm. here. I need that. Because yeah. if he dies, all the stuff goes with him. So I would, you know, so uh-huh. I would, I would trust, I would trust you're right. <laughs> I love that. That's dope. <laughs> hey, brother. So if people want to uh, follow your stuff, you know, like where do they go? Yeah. Well, um, my wife hates it, but <laughs> you can go to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't even like it either. But you can go there. 
Yeah, I may want to be grudging. Yeah. Um, and I also am very adamant about selling my music, selling it um, on Bandcamp only. Okay. All the music that I put out in the past six years, hmm. which has allowed me a lot of freedom. Oh, after nice. I left Blue Note, after 18 years, yeah. I started my own record company called Yes Records along with my wife. Hmm. And we put all of our music out on Bandcamp. So Bandcamp is a service where you can go listen to some songs and you can decide whether or not you want to buy it. Or yeah. Not. But it is not like stream until you're, you know, because I think of the, the music as ideas. Right. I don't think of it just as music that you can put on in the background. Hmm. I just I watch people steal the ideas, but I'm selling the idea. Right. The idea has commerce attached to it. Yeah. And in the history of how black music has been taken advantage of and royalties have been stolen and masters have been kept. Mm-hmm. No, nah, I own my masters now. Oh, and so and so I license the music to who I want to, you know, yeah. for whatever price I want to. Not Blue Note, right? Yeah. And Anita Baker just got her master's back, oh, right? I know that. Nice. Yes. Word. She was like, she got her master's back. That's dope. De La Soul. De La Soul yeah. got their master's back, yeah. right? This is a real thing right. right now. So in the past years, I've been only putting it on that. So you will hear only about my Blue Note music on Spotify or Apple Music, but you won't hear any of the good new music. Mm. <laughs> So that stuff's exclusively Bandcamp. It's exclusive. It's okay. stupid to do it that way. I don't even think that. Now, see, now I need some advice from like my seventy-year-old self. Like, does that work out? <laughs> right. Are you saying that it's only available here? I need some help right here. I don't think it's smart. I don't uh-huh. think it's smart. But it's more like I believe in the idea of it. Mm-hmm. And a twenty-dollar record is a. Tw- it's just twenty dollars. Right. You know. Right. Like, yeah, it's like a Chipo- drink. Chipotle. Right. Costs a lot. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So they just uh, put in your name at Bandcamp or at Bandcamp, or yeah. on Instagram to... Yeah, the okay. Jason Moran on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I'm kind of around. You can always find me. You can find me at the MCA right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm out in these streets. Come find me. <laughs> uh, all right, brother. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, seriously. Thank you to today's guest, Jason Moran. Visit mcadenver.org to learn more about his work and get tickets to see his current exhibition, Bathing the Room with Blues at MCA Denver through January 30th, 2022. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe for more and leave a review. It really helps us out. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Check out MCA Denver on YouTube and subscribe there too for behind the scenes clips that don't make it into the episode. How Art is Born is hosted by me, R. Allen Brooks. Cheyenne Michaels is our producer and editor. Courtney Law is our executive producer. How Art is Born is a project of the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver. Hey. If you love How Art Is Born, there's another podcast that I think you should check out. It's called Off The Walls, and it's all about the people and stories behind Denver's street art. In each episode, you'll meet artists, activists, and other Denverites to explore some powerful murals around town and why they matter. Find Off The Walls from Denverite and Colorado Public Radio wherever you get podcasts.